December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. How many of you remember that? 63 years ago today, 353 Japanese aircrafts, aircraft attacked the American naval forces at Pearl Harbor. 2,403 Americans were killed. Almost 1,200 were wounded. All eight U.S. battleships, could we please take me down? All eight U.S. battleships were damaged or destroyed, along with countless other vessels and hundreds of aircraft. And the next day, as we just heard, President Roosevelt declared war on Japan. And this was less than 30 years after the end of the war that was supposed to what? End all wars. As it turns out, the 20th century was the bloodiest century in human history. 263 wars were waged in that 100-year period. And some estimates of those who died from those battles approximate 230 million human beings. To put it in perspective, that would represent 72% of the American population. So here's the question. Why are we so brutal? Why are we such a brutal race? Why do we continue to attack and to kill and to harm our fellow human beings? And I would suggest that at least one answer to that is simply this, power. There's a lust for power. There's a lust to dominate, a lust to control others. We all know the famous British Lord Acton saying, Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But there's more to the quote. Listen to this. Great men are almost always bad men. Especially when you add the tendency of corruption by authority. Corruption by authority. This Advent, we are asking the question, what do you want for Christmas? We asked it of Joseph last week, and Joseph said, I want my divorce I want my nice, quiet little divorce. I want out of this engagement because this girl's obviously betrayed me. And so I want to move on with my life. By the way, I guess I wouldn't be too surprised at the way that has shaken us as a congregation. I hope in in a positive way, but a hard way. And if you weren't here last week, and especially if your marriage is teetering, I would beg you to go online and listen to this message. It might be a life changer for you. I've already begun to hear those kinds of reports back. This morning we are going to turn to another Christmas character who is one of the most powerful and ruthless men in the Bible. He was a man who was determined to hold on to that power whatever it cost him. So this morning we ask the question, what do you want for Christmas, Herod? And his answer is, my power. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2 as we read this dark story. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and following. 
Find it on page 813 in your pew Bibles. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said was true through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, this is a dark part of this story and really the one we might want to avoid but it speaks in a very deep way to who we are, what we are as human beings, and it calls forth something better from us. So God, we who long to cling to power, we who long to retain control of our lives, we who often resent the fact that we've given up the throne of our lives to you, may we repent again this day as we bow before you. In Christ's name, amen. At the height of its power... The Roman Empire controlled about over 2 million square miles of the world. And they held sway over about one quarter of the world's population. How did they expand to this size and still retain that kind of control? Because they repeated the same pattern everywhere they went. Every region that they conquered, they would appoint a puppet king from among those people to be their ruler. Essentially, he was a traitor. He had to be because his interest had to be, first of all, to protect Roman interests before his own country, although it never did hurt him to feather his own nest at the expense of his people when he was in that kind of control. 
puppet kings. That was how Rome ruled. And in 37 BC, Rome appointed a man to serve as the puppet king of Judea, the king of the Jews. Ironically, he wasn't even a Jew. He was an Idumean from a nearby region. And yet Rome decided that he had the ruthlessness that was required. And so they placed on the throne a man who would sit in that position of power for 32 years. His name was Herod. We call him Herod the Great. Others called him the evil genius of Judea. Herod is remembered for two things. He was a great builder, first of all. You can't travel through Israel. We will be in in another month. You can't travel through Israel without tripping over one of the things that Herod built. For instance, Rome wanted a capital in Palestine, and so on the coast, he built a capital for them called Caesarea, named after Caesar. They built a, it included a great hippodrome, a place where the horses could race. It included a theater, because the Romans loved the theater, that looked out on the beautiful Mediterranean Sea. And because they didn't have a natural harbor, he built a harbor out of waterproof concrete. Imagine that. There's another of his building projects you would know of. It was uh, built on a mesa, a great fortress palace built on a mesa in the wilderness next to the Dead Sea. You know the name of this place. What is it? Masada. Masada. But his most famous building project was the rebuilding of Solomon's temple. It was a remodel, but really it was a reworking entirely. First of all, the temple itself, he made it so ornate. He covered the thing in gold to the point when pilgrims were coming from miles away and the sun shone, it would light up the hill with the, because of the brightness of the gold that was shining. But around that area as well, he built a huge retaining wall with stones that are the size of greyhound buses in some instance. And he backfilled that wall so that he increased the Temple Mount area by many, many times. The Romans came in in 70 AD and they destroyed the temple utterly. Stone, not one stone stood on top of another as Jesus prophesied would be the case. But to this day you can still see the Herodian wall that was built to retain that great Temple Mount. It is the holiest site in, in Jerusalem. And we know it as what? The Wailing Wall, or the Western Wall, more correctly. So, Herod is remembered as this great builder. He's also remembered for being perhaps the most paranoid and ruthless man to ever sit on a throne. He held power for 32 years because every time he got a whiff of dissent, he crushed it ruthlessly. His favorite wife, and he had a bunch of them, was a woman named Miriam. But he heard that it might be possible that she was committing treason against him. And so against his desire, he executed Miriam. And then just for good measure, to make sure he had taken care of it, he also executed her two sons, her brother, her grandfather, and her mother. But he also suspected his own firstborn son, and he had his own boy strangled. And that was just the members of his own family. Anyone Herod suspected of being a threat to his throne could be certain to have a visit from the palace guard. He was ruthless. He was so ruthless, Caesar Augustus once said of Herod, it is safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. He was an awful man. And that is the context for our story today. Do you understand? That's the context for this story. When wise men from Persia arrive, guided by this this star that had appeared two years earlier, and they come to Herod's palace and they ask him, Hey, where is the newborn king of the Jews? It was like waving a red cape in front of a bull. 
Herod manipulated them, of course, or he thought he would. He said, well, I, why don't you go, you go find him, and when you find him, you come back and tell me where he is so that I too can go and worship him. Yeah, worship him with the blade of a sword, perhaps. He was not about to worship this guy. This baby, whatever it was, was a threat. As all had happened so many times before, when he sensed a threat, he was going to eliminate it. And then he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men. I guess that's why they were wise. He had been outwitted by them. And so he executed plan B. Herod always had a plan B. And that was to send his troops into the region of Bethlehem and to kill every baby boy two years old and younger. Just to cover his bases. I want you to take a look at a picture here. This is the Church of the Nativity. It was built around 600. It's the oldest church in the Holy Land. Uh, It is built over the cave where Jesus is believed to have been born. Right next, if you went down there and then took a left, you would go through the door. And right next to it is another church. That church sits over the top of a catacomb. You walk down into the catacomb and you will come to a cave where was discovered ancient skeletons of babies, many of them. And it is revered as the burial site of those infants that were murdered by Herod. Frankly, at the time of Jesus, Bethlehem was a tiny place. It's not likely that there were very many families who had very many boys that were two years old and younger. But it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't make Herod's act any less barbaric. Can you imagine the horror that it was for the four or the five or the six or the seven families who had a boy of that age to have Herod's troops dried up, break into their house, tear the child from the mother's arms and slaughter it before her eyes. It is horrific. Of course, he failed, didn't he, in his attempt. An angel of the Lord warned Joseph. He, he packed up his family and hastily made their way out and down to Egypt, where so often the people of Israel escaped from something. This is the dark side of the Christmas story, isn't it? We don't have a lot of Christmas carols that are written about the slaughter of the innocents. And you don't see this particular chapter acted out in children's pageants very often. This is bleak and dark and awful. I dare say, though, that it is also, in its raw brutality, one of the most honest pieces to the Christmas story because it speaks to the reason we needed a Christmas in a very hard way. Why did Herod do such a horrible thing? Why was Herod so desperate to protect Uh, What was he so desperate to protect that he was willing to carry out this barbaric act? His power. His power. For most of his adult life, paranoid Herod was fanatical about protecting his power. If it meant executing his favorite wife, too bad. If it meant strangling his own son, c'est la vie. And if he was willing to, to do that with his own relatives... What qualms do you think he would have had for murdering a few nameless babies of worthless peasants in Bethlehem? It is a horrible story. One that is often just ignored in the Christmas season. What decent human being wouldn't be horrified by this? That someone would be willing to go to such lengths to cling to their power. It is breathtakingly evil. But here's the disturbing truth, beloved. 
There's a little bit of Herod in every one of us. There is a little bit of Herod in every one of us. For every one of us wants to fight to hold on to the throne of our own lives. Isn't that true? Herod dealt ruthlessly with Jesus because he did not want to surrender his throne. How are we different We want to retain the power over our own lives. We want to call the shots. We want to decide what is right and wrong. We want to live our own way. For several months, we have studied what it means to be a revolutionary disciple of Jesus. As we've journeyed through the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen how Jesus outlines His way to live. What it means for us to be His apprentice. It is countercultural and it is radical. The way of Jesus means that we forgive and love our enemies. The way of Jesus means that we pray and we fast and we give generously. The way of Jesus means that we reject lust and we fight for our marriages and we hate divorce. The way of Jesus means that we keep our word even when it is inconvenient. It means that we live a life that is so filled with the light of Christ that our Heavenly Father is glorified because people look at us and they see Him. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. And yet, here is the picture of my life outside of Jesus. This is is what I am and this is what I want. I want to sit in the throne of my life. I want to control my own life. And yet we claim Christ as Lord. Another word for Lord is King. And there's only one thing that you can do if you really mean it when you say, I'm going to follow Christ, which is what? You get out. I have Jesus chosen for me today. (laughs) Here's my... Yeah, I know you hate that, don't you? <laughs> you get out of the throne of your life and you say to the Lord Jesus, you take your place there. You sit there. And then this is what you do, isn't it? You bow before him and say, Christ, you are the Lord. You are the king. I bow before you. I give you my life. Which is great, except that we spend the rest of our life changing our mind. We bump into a situation And we say, you know, Jesus, this one's kind of complicated. (laughs) And and so, if you don't mind, for for just a moment, I I think it would be well if you would uh, let me me take this boat, because this this is a tough one. And and then when we're done, okay, go ahead and back, here we go. Oh, this one, this one is a, this is a biggie. This, you really can't understand all the complexity. Okay, this one's done now. And the problem is that as we make the habit of changing our mind about who will sit on the throne of our life, we depose him again and again and again, and pretty soon we're very comfortable just staying where we were. At the very least, we want him out of the throne, or at least... Maybe we'll just share. (laughs) This is pretty good arrangement, you know. Jesus and me in the throne of my life. Thanks, brother. Thank you, brother. As awful as this Herod is, the truth is that his lust for power is only a more horrific version 
of the same battle that every one of us fights every day. And we may gasp at this story, but every time we disobey Jesus, every time we harbor a grudge rather than forgive, every time we choose to gossip, every time we take a second glance at that beautiful woman, every time that we betray our spouse in the flesh or on the computer or on Facebook or on the porn site, Every time we spend God's tithe on ourselves, every time we lash out in anger and speak ill of someone, every time we worry, instead of trusting, every time that is Herod popping back out in our life. It is our attempt to hold on to power. It is our attempt to cling to the throne of our own lives and to finish the work that Herod tried to start in Bethlehem that night. Herod missed his opportunity, but 33 years later, the soldiers finally caught up with Jesus, didn't they? He was murdered, and he was murdered as a man for the same reason that Herod tried to kill him as a baby and failed. Because humanity, because you and I rightly consider Jesus to be a threat to our power. You get that, don't you? That is the threat. It continues to be the great threat. We rightly perceive that Jesus is a threat to the control I have over my life. Because every day as a disciple of Jesus, a true disciple means I surrender the throne of my life one more time. Often many times in that day saying, Jesus, as much as I want to sit in this thing, as much as I really think I've got a better control and grasp of what is going on, I know that I will only bring death and disaster if I do. Only you are worthy to occupy this place. Only you can resist the corrosive effects of power that corrupt every other human being that has it. So once more, today, in this moment, I surrender. I surrender. And I declare you to be the Lord, the King of my life. This is our battle. As horrific as we view Herod to be, that is the reality of our life. It is the great battle for our soul. Will we retain the throne or will we give it up to Jesus? And every time we take it back, we are saying with Herod, I don't want Christ to have control of my life. When we come to this table, that is exactly what we re-declare. That Jesus, the great threat to human power, is the only trustworthy one to sit upon the throne of our lives. He proved that power could not corrupt him because he gave it up. Didn't he? He was the one who gave up power. He left heaven. He took on the form of a servant and humbled himself and became obedient on the, to, the, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ has proven that he can defeat the corrosive effect of power in his own life by sacrificing it in our place. There is power in what he has done. Think about it this way. The cross of Calvary is the only true slaughter of the innocent. We celebrate today the only true slaughter of the innocent. And in this meal, we who were saved from the spirit of Herod bow before Jesus again. In deep gratitude again.
for saving our life. This is what Christmas is about. It is about wonderful songs and warm feelings and family, but at its core, this is what it's about. Will Christ be Lord or not? And in this day, we declare yes. and the joy it is to watch this from up here. To see your brothers and sisters serving you and to see you serving each other. And in that act of service, we defy Herod and his spirit, don't we? When we give to someone else, we say,